welcome back everybody, episode 34, a real episode this time, not a sneaky bonus episode. Um, we are sort of shaking it up again, just for twice in a row. This is going to be kind of a different episode, but this is a story that a lot of you have asked about over the years, and uh, Danielli's going to address it for you, and let me hand it over to him for a moment, and he'll tell you what we're going to do. Yeah, today is going to be a rather different kind of episode. If you are looking for a light-hearted, happy, fun conversation, that's not going to be it. So... Um, today, if everything goes right, we're releasing this on February 13th, which will be the third anniversary of my wife's death. A lot of people have asked me stuff about, you know, very polite in very nice fashion, but still people seem to want to know more about everything, not just, you know, the gory details, but the emotional aspect of it all, handling it, not handling it, you know, the whole process life that everything so um that's where we're going so no today you know we're not doing any of the usual no story time no his moment no mailbag none of that stuff we're just going straight into the story with nothing else which means that right now we're gonna be we're gonna do everything right away because i doubt that you guys want to hear some and here is our sponsor at the end or anything like that because it's gonna be a bit intense so we're going to take care of business right away in the first few minutes. We're going to make it quick and then uh, get to the meat of it all. Right off the very top, everybody, if if for any reason you might need some hangover cure, um, please go visit our friends at dhmdepot.com. They were kind enough to put that bonus episode together. It only exists because they were willing to uh, put the funds together to actually make it happen. And it's a really kind of cool concept and we want to get a bit more of a go and see if more people want to do it or even better that they want to come back and do some more because we got no problem doing it if we can make the time to do it worthwhile because these do take a little bit of time to get together um let me also knock out datsu sarah i cannot praise them enough i've had my bag for a year it looks brand new like you know and it's been up and down the coast a thousand times it carries all our gear. It's great. The hemp lasts. All the buckles are good. The zippers are, you know, I can't praise it enough. And Chris O'Dell, what a great dude to be a part of. We can't thank him enough. Uh, our friends at Onnit, Aubrey, I'm in the midst of my Alpha Brain uh, sleepy time test. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I, I can't for 100% say it's not the placebo effect. But I do find more vivid, more interesting, wilder dreams when I have one three or four hours before bedtime. Um We'll have to continue our research to see exactly what we find out. But so far, so good. I couldn't recommend it enough. Thousands, not thousands, but tons of great stuff to get. The kettlebells are awesome. Uh, I kind of like the regular ones. I think the zombie ones yeah. freak me out a little bit. But, um, <laughs> you get scared when you yeah, work out. Yeah, man. one looking at me. But um, tons of great stuff. Great cats. And they are all about, if you don't like it, you get your money back. So nothing to really risk. Uh, another one of our favorite favorites is, of course, Sure Design T-shirts. The new t-shirts are getting closer all the time. They will have the awesome Sure Design super soft fabric. What more can be said about that? But be sure to check out the website. Lots of great, not just t-shirts, it's cool dresses. It's all kinds of stuff from Thailand. So, uh, you know, even you Ladyboy fans could be happy to get something from over there. Uh, our affiliate guys, uh, it's over for Valentine's Day, but Kurokawa is still searching for that perfect new name. It may still be time for you to put an entry in if you can rename them for something easier that's more chocolatey and less confusing than Kurokawa. I don't know what the hell that means, so Chocolakawa could be a good start, but I don't know if they'll go for that. Uh, Amazon. Amazon Link is a fantastic place. As my friends on the, the left-leaning uh, radio podcast say, a perfect opportunity to take corporate blood money and put it in the pockets of some of your friends. So 
Click on that as a portal to go through. You won't notice any difference in your shopping. It works exactly the same, except we get a tiny piece of that evil, ugly corporate blood money. And then finally, Audible. Uh, I don't know who would want to listen to a book after they have all these fantastic <laughs> podcasts available in the world. But certainly, you know, I'm still not completely convinced that listening to a book is reading a book. So I'm on the, sh- on the fence a little bit. Perhaps I ought to s- sample one out and see how it is for myself. Okay, that's it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my own Audible book uh, listening. That's going to cut into my, my uh, hardcore history, though. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, he only t- releases once every three months, so you're okay. That's true, you're too. Right. But God damn, is it good. Anyway, it is. As we advertise for our pal Dan Carlin, I think we got everybody under control there. Anyway, audible.com, download yourself a book. I think it's more than just books, so if you, uh, the old radio shows and things like that are becoming available, mm-hmm. and that's really kind of a cool thing. Woo! Finally, our friends at Daisy House, thank you so much for the music. That's all the information we have for right now. Uh, I guess the last couple of things I should mention, the Kiva thing is going like crazy. We're hoping to get to 10,000 by the end of the year. Folks, we're already at like 4,200. Like 120 new loans have come out in the past three months from you guys putting down your money to help somebody else out in the world. And if anybody wants to give you a hassle about, well, how dare you, you know, what about us in the USA? Well, there's USA loans available as well now, too. So if you want to help out one of your friends up the street or around the world, it's all available for you. Get involved, man. Do a couple. You'll find that it really is a good feeling. And you know, 12 months later, when you got the money back in your pocket, I think you'll find you'll be happier to hand it back out than to go spend it on something stupid. I guess that leaves with donations. Absolutely. My, right. my friends, we've been doing this for a year and a half. And we do it because we love it. I think we have a good time talking to each other. We have great guests. And it really is a treat. But I got to dig back to something Duncan said a couple of years ago that really hit me hard. If you're willing to give Bank of America... $2 to get 20 bucks out of a foreign ATM? Come on, guys. Two bucks. Let's make March a crazy month. Everybody, pony up two bucks. I feel like I'm the PBS affiliate trying to. <laughs> but we are moving to, to nicer digs up the street a little bit. And, you know, we want to get some new equipment to make this even better and so that we can take it more portable. We'll probably be doing a lot of traveling in the next year. So we want to have the capacity so that we can have the Italian version of the Drunken Taoists within the next year so beautiful we're not looking to break the bank we know we're not getting rich off of this but it just makes it a little easier so endeth the begging for donations but speaking of donations it is time for some name botchering for the folks of you who were kind enough to help us out let the botchering begin i'm a bad man as we have established multiple times one of the reasons why is because i'm i screwed up i forgot to read the names uh, some time back and then they got forgotten forever since then until somebody mailed me and say hey what happened to my butchery and I'm like oh shit I forgot all these people now it's entirely possible that because I'm a bad man and I'm highly confused I may be reading names also of people who were donated already and we read them already I don't know in any case there's a long ass list now between the most recent ones and some really old ones that I may or may not have forgotten so let's screw up a lot of names let's go <clears throat> so we got Terry McLennan, Aaron Dutil, J.R. Duval, Duval, Brian Jacques, maybe, Daniel Albert, the first one that I can actually semi-pronounce, Paul Kosir, Arshad Sharma from India, awesome, other cool name we got, Jamal Alokashe, awesome, David Dragovsky, Eddie Azar, uh, Ilya Racklin, sorry for screwing up your name again because I should know it better since you are my student at SMC but you know 
Peter Thomas, Jaron Schultz, Hugo Nunez, Richard Gerst, Jake Maher, or, oh, fuck that, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a very simple, you know, M-A-H-E-R, which I should know how to pronounce it, but I don't. Kim Stenari from Sweden, Gary McClure, um, Ben Burgess, Christopher Irving, Daniel Albert, Thomas, Daniel Albert Weiss, cool, Thomas Robinson, Jovan Nguyen, Colin Hayes, and then I think I'm digging in some of the really old ones, David Rood, Eugene Lilivre, Stanley Barnett, Rothana Young, D'Artagnan, that's a cool name, D'Artagnan, Echranik, okay, yeah, no way, Tim Eber, Kerry Markley, Jason, uh, Jason, Jason Maxlow, Daniele Tripodi, Eric Follis, Aistis Juska, Stephen Corliu, Bill Laskowski, Ray Laco, and Chris Borges. I think, again, I may have been repeated names that I said already 16 times, but, uh, oh, and last but not least, he asked me, he, he asked me to read his, all the titles he has acquired through various strange denominations from the Church of the Discord, the uh, Scottish government and various things our most bizarre and uh, many title donor Orion Ferreira but we don't stop at Orion Ferreira since he's always and the reverend Sir Lord Orion Sri Malakai Ferreira Lawrence Geokerman Stout Tebbenkamp Benny Filaroska clearly right wow that's what you say how could you memorize that and how can you ask me to read it most of all and how can I actually do it that's the most puzzling part did I hear Colin Hayes in there is that the lead singer of Men at Work well let's ask let's find out that's quite awesome well, thanks, everybody. That's too kind, and we definitely appreciate it, and it does help keep things going on this end because bandwidth ain't free, unfortunately. If it was, we'd all be doing this. Let's roll. I'm just going to hand it over. This story, you, you know, and to the many thanks of hundreds of you out there, there won't be nearly as many wisecracks for me. I know it'll be like a new high. But um, it's it's a good time for the story, definitely. And quickly, I just want to share with you, you know, the random accident that my wife had like a week ago. Mm-hmm. Goofing off, playing tug-of-war with the dogs in the backyard, slips, feet go out from under her, and she ends up hitting a railroad tie right behind her. Now, luckily for me, it was like her fifth or sixth rib down, cracked it, but eight inches the other way could have been her neck. Mm -hmm. And it just shows you the crazy impermanence of it all and how, you know, we really do need to be thankful for every day. Seriously, man. And that's part of what, why we go into it today is um, I've noticed uh, one of the times when I got most into this discussion was with Duncan Trussell. I think it was the second time he had me on. And I think I got more feedback from people for that episode. And even that, we, it wasn't the whole episode. It was just a few minutes out of it than from just about anything else. So I figure, okay, if other people are getting something good out of something horrible, might as well. Let's go there. Well, that combined with the fact that one thing we say a lot, that people are dependent on their religion because of their fear. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, just showing how you dealt with this... Outside of having, you know, Father Mulcahy coming over to hold your hand, 
is going to be helpful to a lot of folks that aren't, you know, totally sure about things. Yeah, so that's where we're going to play. And also, you know, three-year anniversary, um, February 13th. So I just want to do a thing for her about her hopefully catching some of her spirit in it and uh, rolling with it. I actually met her. The first time I met her, it was um, martial art class. I was uh, teaching martial arts at UCLA. It was... um, strange period of my life i had uh, graduated i was um i didn't really know the hell i wanted to do yet i finished college i was trying to figure out where to go next and in the process of me figuring out what the next steps are i had um through sheer damn persistence i'd gotten a job teaching martial arts at ucla in the um, recreation classes i've been after the lady who handled this thing for like two years i would call like on a weekly basis like are there any openings no are there any openings no are there any openings no this went on for two years until i finally landed it i was so happy and the first day on the job so to speak because you know a job in a very loose sense what happened was, um, you know, I expected like this small little class. I walk in, was a racquetball court in the Wooden Center at UCLA that they had turned into martial art room for the day. I walk in, I expected 10 people, you know, little things, let's have fun. I walk in, it was packed. There was like 50 plus people. There was really no room to do this thing in. So the first thing walking through the door that struck me was, damn, that's a lot of people. I really need to rethink things quick about what I was planning to do. Second thing that struck me is, Jesus, it stinks in here. There was some dude who was not on particularly friendly terms with deodorants, but very much on friendly terms with tiny tank tops that would allow him to rub his armpits together. And the guy stunk in a way that was amazing. And the third thing that hit me, definitely not in order of importance, quite the other way around, was this woman of insane beauty walking my way, and because she did have a nose, she was the first thing she said was, can I open the door? And the obvious message was, it stinks so bad in here. I'm like, yeah, of course, open the door. And right then and there, I was floored. Because I was, not only because, you know, the rest of the time I'm teaching class and I'm like, my eyes are scoping the room, but I'm really going back to where every other second. Because not only she's beautiful beyond words, and I'm just like, damn. Look, look at her but there was something else going there was like something about her energy she was uh, a strange combination of very very feminine and beautiful in that sense and yet super athletic tough with this kind of hardcore let's get ready and go type of approach and uh, she had kind of this magnetic energy that just captured attention there was just no way to miss that it's like she had this awesome tattoo that um, had a tiger jumping out of a heart, uh, which was a perfect yin-yang approach that I dug a lot. And, um, you know, one thing that, in many ways, she was the perfect Tao, right? She had this very feminine and very strong, very uh, sweet and nice and very blunt and outspoken. Uh, within a week or something, I remember before class, she asked me, is this stuff going to help me if shit goes down for real or, we just, or am I just wasting my time here? And I was like, not exactly the typical respect for the martial art teacher in stereotypical <laughs> way, but hey, I'm down with that. You know, yeah, you should know for real what's going on and I have no problem with that. So 
I dug her a lot and you know everything else about teaching martial arts started falling in my mind way far in the background because there was something about her that you know even there when she asked me that question and she wanted to know I had to struggle really hard to avoid my replying being even though I just met you I love you madly that would not have answered the question it would have probably been slightly inappropriate so I skip on that I had known her for two weeks I figured maybe I can wait a little longer for that <clears throat> but um, you know in many ways just her energy she was uh, like a son you know you could see she walk into a room and everybody turned to her beside the physical beauty just also the energy to her there was just this element that she could brighten and warm up any room she walked in the, um, so there was the annoying fact that as a teacher you know it's sort of frowned upon to be dating the people in your class now if you were actually giving grades and is one of those classes is more than frowned upon your neck will be placed you know your head will be on a pike somewhere but if it's like this is a rec class it's not as bad but it's still pretty frowned upon but at the same time i thought you know Bruce Lee taught me to love Trump's stupid rules. Bruce Lee, after all, ended up married to one of his first students. So I'm like, screw it, you know? So during martial art, I clearly was, I was trying not to be obvious about it, but I was so starting to court her. And, you know, I was in this very macho, I'm showing, you know, this is how you hit them in the face. And in the meantime, I'm dreaming of unicorns and uh, picnics in the sun and all of that, you know? I gouges had never been that sweet, I guess. Had you ever experienced anything like that before, or was this, I mean, something similar, but never this it was intense? Then, it was intense, that's one, and which is very fitting with her, you yeah. know. Intense would definitely capture her. She's very far from the Asian stereotypes of the uh, timid, submissive woman. It's like, no, take that, go exactly 180 degrees a different route, and you're there. You know, there is nothing super intense, super opinionated, very passionate. So, yeah, that. So we ended up, you know, I found myself walking with her by chance, going home in the same direction, and ending up, we start talking about anything, right, from... Uh, Thoreau to street fights from the deepest things in life to burp jokes and everything in between so I was uh, not that I needed confirmation because to me when you get an initial read on somebody energy that tells you more than anything else but it was pleasant to know that on a mental level we also clicked there was something else going on so you know eventually it's becoming pretty clear that in very rapid fashion our bodies are on a collision course for while kissing with each other eventually. And I remember this one time I called her and uh, we started chatting on the phone and uh, six hours later we're still on the phone talking. It was by now 5 a.m. And, uh, you know, after six hours I'd never been on the phone for more than I think two hours was a record, and even that, I don't think I match it too many times. So by six hours, you're delirious. You're, what else are you talking about after six hours, right? And and at one point, it's 5 a.m. In the meantime, I've crawled in bed. I'm, like, laying in my blankets with my phone and listening and slowly beginning to pass out. And in the midst of tossing ideas about everything and whatever, she says, uh, we're talking about raining, something that never happens in California, so one can only dream about it. 
we're talking about rain and she goes like ah you know if uh, if i wanted to go for a walk in the rain crazy rain you come with me i'm like yeah yeah i'll come with you that's absolutely and then she goes you know what i feel like going for a walk now and i'm like you know at 5 a.m i have to work about four hours later i'm just like everything in my body screaming at me don't stay in bed fall asleep but i know there's a hint of a challenge there there's a hint of hey can you back it up are you just talking so i'm like yep i sure can be there in 20 minutes so off bed i go hop in a car go there by the time she comes down and she's in her goofy pyjama or something, we're taking a walk down the street and um, it was awesome, you know. It was not, it wasn't even like anything, nothing really, you know, we could just walk hand in hand tenderly watching the sunrise, nothing, nothing overtly sexual or anything, it was just sweet, you know, it was just a sweet moment and that was it. I think we ended up watching The Princess Bride by the time we came back, the greatest movie ever made in the history of movie making. And uh, then I had to go back and go to work, which was kind of funny because, uh, you know, I had no sleep the entire night. I was so zoning out when I was supposed to be tutoring students and I had no idea what the hell they were saying or I was (laughs) saying. I just had this demented, tired smile on my face. And lucky for me was these two uh, women who were the ones I was supposed to tutor and they were highly sympathetic to my romantic escapades. So nothing bad came out of it. But yeah, that was fun. um, I ended up throwing a bit of a wrench in this process because in uh, in a moment they would have pleased Chris Ryan but not um, common sense, I guess. As it was becoming obvious that we were into each other, that something could start right then and there, I wanted to sort of lay my cards on the table so I told her flat out, I think monogamy sucks, you know, to be perfectly honest. I'm not into it. Not my thing. Um, and, you know, we talk about it. And I explained my reasons and we went back and forth and all of that. And she told me, you know, I, I get it. I understand where you're coming from. And I think from a philosophical standpoint, I dig it. I just can't live with it. You know, it's not how I'm built. I'm not saying you're wrong. I think actually I like your way better than mine on a philosophical level, but there's a difference between liking it in theory and being able to pull it off. I can pull it off. So if that's what you want, absolutely go for it i respect you i have no there's no judgment there but not with me or if you want it if you want to be with me then it's a different story and you know i thought about it for a whole 0.2 seconds and i said screw my philosophy what do i care um you know i'm into you that fixes that yeah so let philosophical ideas be damned who cares you know it's uh and the thing is it's a big deal for me because i don't say things that then i'm not gonna do so the second to me i say yes i'm into this and you know you want this to be strictly monogamous then if i say it it's done right i'm never gonna go back and go like well exception this one time no none of that right so for me that's why i wanted to have the discussion right then and there clear it right off the bat because i want to know where i stand i want the other person know where we stand she made it clear that that was the deal and it was take it or leave it i took it and i was happy about it now the thing about her is that despite this super strong positive happy sunny side to her it was pretty obvious from talking her Three sec with talking with her three seconds that there was something else going on under the surface. 
she came from the pits of hell literally like her childhood her teenage years all of that she came from a really hard place like her father was a guy who um, at one point when she was 12 or 13 and they were talking her father told her flat out the only reason why you are born is because we didn't have enough money for an abortion you know not exactly the kind of thing you want to say to a 12 year old but um, again there was not a whole lot that any 12 year old would want to be partying in the household so there was that the um, the other reason that i guess her father didn't bring up but definitely was on his mind for why she was alive and not been aborted was the fact that she was the only u.s citizen in her family and they were illegal immigrants Mm, he was from mainland china the mom was from taiwan they already had four kids and elizabeth was the only one who was born in the u.s all the other ones were not so everyone else could be deported any minute she wasn't and so she was his insurance ticket because he would be the provider and then they couldn't deport him because she, they had her you know if this sounds cynical and fucked up it's just an appetizer for the rest of elizabeth childhood you know that was the whole thing and uh, you know you, even when i met her long time after that it was pretty obvious that traces of that darkness would never really leave her the place where she came from you know no matter how much she tried to shake it off he was gonna be there about four years before i met her i met her when she was uh, 24 and so about when she was 20 i remember she told me how at some point she felt strong enough and solid enough to decide to grapple with her uh, upbringing her childhood everything she had been through and so she decided to try some therapy maybe a good idea to go into it and i feel strong i'm in a good place now i feel strong all of that well the experiments of a few weeks of therapy led to her holding a razor blade in a warm bathtub contemplating the old amletic question of whether to kill herself or not so at that point she figured maybe certain doors are better left closed because i just can't deal with it and that's just where it's at so that gives you an idea of not exactly a happy place i'm not sure what parenting book or father consulted but i'm pretty sure it was one that strongly recommended equal measures of mind fucking manipulation and ultra bloody beatings as the twin pillars of what all good parenting is all about so that was the environment her mom was uh, pretty much clinically insane there's debate about whether it was the beatings that made her insane or if she was going there on her own but regardless you know her mom was she was a you know he- not just schizophrenic like so out there schizophrenic that there was she was totally not functional some of his elizabeth siblings also definitely were hit with mental issues after that not everybody but well to some degree everybody who grew up in that environment will be affected but you know some will be functional and some will not so there was that right off the bat it was pretty clear that getting out of the Han household and scarred was just not an option that was just not gonna happen but because she was a hell of a tough human being you know by around the time she was 15 she started hitting the weights room because she wanted to turn her body into a source of strength rather than feeling of frailty and so on by the time she was 16 she was a ward of the court she left home never saw her parents again and that was it you know so that tells you fairly rough upbringing and um 
she had the option. She went to live with some of her sisters, a um, couple of her older sisters who helped her, um, helped her out. And they were basically telling her, you know, stay with us. You can go to college here in the Bay Area and, you know, everything will be fine. But she wanted to create her own path far from anybody's influence. So she had been accepted at a few places. She decided, I'm going to UCLA. Do I know anybody in LA? No. I'm on my own. Bye. See you guys. I'll come visit you during, you know, she, she loved her sister, so she would go visit them, but she wanted to just be on her own and just do her own thing. By the time I met her, one of her defining characteristics was just this near manic commitment not to let fear or pain stop her from doing what she wanted. She just was scary fearless in a lot of ways. Now, entering in a relationship with her was a minefield, and she made no mystery of it whatsoever. She, If anything, she tried to warn me away multiple times, telling me, you know, she never tried to pose as someone she was, and she never tried to sell herself as uh, everything is great and wonderful, there are no issues. She let me know flat out all the million issues that she did have that were real things. She put her cards on the table, and let me know right off the start that it wasn't going to be easy, you know, that uh, that's when you come out from a certain environment, you're going to have some issues. Specifically, the issue is she kind of was two people. There was Elizabeth, her nature, and her nature was warm, kind, huge heart, this inner fire that just made, you know, any dog or baby in a five-mile radius would be drawn to her right away. And, you know, it had, she had that kind of super, like a sun, literally, that just warms everything up and make everybody happy. And that was very real, and it was her. Her laughter was just like pure, unrestrained joy, right? Just spreading this. You hear her laugh, and you can't help feel like life is the most amazing thing in the universe. It's just this crazy, happy laugh that just spread happiness to anyone within earshot. So it's, um, there's so much beauty. At the same time, that was not all that there was. There was also the other side of her that was not her nature. It was not who she was deep down. It was a product of a screwed up childhood. But, you know, if if you live in it long enough, it becomes part of you. So there was this other side of her that was unforgiving, merciless, ready for a fight at a drop of a dime. Just, uh, you know, she came from hell. So being able to trust anybody for her was a titanic struggle. She told me multiple times, anger is the emotion I'm most comfortable with. It's the one that I'm most at home with. I know anger so well that I I go there like I breathe. It's no big deal to me. It's what I'm. It's my home in a lot of ways. Clearly, that's not a very healthy home. And so dealing with, you know, who you are inside and who you, what you're bringing has made you, there was this weird push and pull that was... Uh, rather strange it's like her nature and their upbringing were constantly at war with each other and people you know it's funny seeing it with people because so many people would be just captivated by her personality it was like a magnet she would attract everybody but then the harder side of her would just push people away because she would flat out let them know in three minutes it's like that pisses me off you are bugging me about this you you know she could express her disgust with you in a way without saying a word that made you want to crawl back into a hole and never poke your head out again. So, you know, there was this fury in her eyes that could just set you on fire. And both sides were equally strong, you know. So it was, uh, 
you know, one would make you touch the sky, the other one make, crashes you to pieces, and they were both part of who she was. Now, she clearly, with me in particular, she tried to always put the emphasis on the better side for my sake, but, you know, it's not that she was doing it on purpose. It would come out, you know, it would come out a lot. So, on paper, didn't look like a good match. I don't think we match perfectly on, you know, if you look at it purely on paper, it looked like, why? You know, you know, I was this sort of happy puppy who thrived on sharing my house with friends. Uh, and, you know, I want my tribe. I want this very happy. Uh, she grew up where what she did on a fairly regular basis is she would lock herself in the closet to play with some toys because that was the only place where she felt safe. So kind of a different upbringing now can you fault her for the hell no you know it's what sh she needed to do but obviously that made her more than a bit with let's put it mildly with a heightened sense of privacy you know with uh, forget the tribe and the thing it, there's her house her space you know i wanted to share my space she wanted to protect it i wanted a tribe she wanted to be left the hell alone so clearly living together is going to be complicated um, because this is, by the way, just an example and there were a lot like this. And again, she told me this. She didn't try to hide it. She, this didn't come out over time. She straight out told me, you know, but the reason why she survived to be who she was is through sheer willpower, but this had left her with somewhat of a shrunken muscle for compromise. You know, she didn't have a whole lot there. And putting it in another way, she basically needed to have things her way most of the time. And she knew that that wasn't the fairest thing in the world. But she said, look, I'm going to try to compromise with you. I am trying to compromise with you. But I'm not going to bullshit you. The reality is that my ability to compromise goes from ear to ear. It's not a 50-50 thing. I get it. If you put 50% and there's still a long way to go for how much I can compromise... I'm not faulting you if you don't want to do it, but that's how it is. I can't compromise any more than I already am. So again, free choice. She wasn't messing with me. She wasn't trying to convince me it was my responsibility to do it. Um, she was just very matter of fact. You know, I have tried to change a lot about myself. I'll continue to try to change a lot, but I don't want you to be under the illusion that, oh, you know, I love her and one day she'll change. Either you can live with me the way I am now or it's never going to work because, you know... And uh, and again, this was this take it or leave it thing in the approach, which um, is funny because I obviously did decide to take it, but multiple times she would bring up the question, why do you love me? You know, why the hell do you love me? You know, don't you think you'd be better off finding someone more like you, easier, less baggage? And yeah, I mean, sure, but at the same time, easy was not what I craved. And rather than scaring me away, this road disarming honesty made me love her even more. You know, I it was there was no simple logical answer for why I loved her. You know, it had really nothing to do with logic. It's uh, she didn't have to do anything for me. The fact that she existed made me happy, gave me a level of balance and happiness that I didn't know. So. I didn't care. You know, I jumped into the relationship at first, no re regrets, no hesitation. I wanted to be with her no matter how tough it would be, no matter how much struggle or how painful. I didn't give a crap. You know, I'm like, 
Well, when did love and logic ever have anything to do with any, each other anyway? And in this case, you're right. But it, I guess in many cases is... Um, There's people that settle for those reasons. Yeah, but in some cases, you know, you're going with it and you're not thinking about it. When you look at it from the outside, it looks crazy, but you're sure. caught in the moment. Here was very... There was a clear choice. You know, all the cards were on the table. There was... You could almost take a rational look at it all and say, do you want it or not? And I decided, you know, I knew what the rational answer was and I didn't care. And I was fine with it. I loved her so that much that I I was happy to give up pieces of myself for her. <clears throat> Which, you know, if anybody else told me that about the relationship, I would think that's a really bad idea. Doesn't sound healthy at all. You, you know, other people around me were weirded out. They didn't think that my relationship with her was standing on the most solid, healthy base. And again... True, but who cares? I really didn't care about that. And uh, it did, of course, affect me. You know, it's not like it didn't. You know, I basically, a lot of my life with her was spent in fear of anything that could possibly piss her off because it didn't really take much for that to happen. Walking on eggshells. Yes. So I was very rarely relaxed since I was always trying to anticipate potential problems and diffuse them before they got under her skin. So, you know, blocking anything that could set off her anger always kept me on the edge, which, again, is not the healthiest thing, and I saw those dynamics, but, again, I didn't care. I felt it was totally worth it. More than anything, I just really wanted to make her happy, you know. I felt, in some way, the fact that I had a much easier life than she did made me feel invested with this responsibility to give her all the love she never received. You know, and perhaps pure megalomania kind of state I was in this no one else can do it and in some cases she kind of did say stuff like that to me you know she did seem like you know your present provide me with the level of stability I've never known you know sometimes you're my only source of joy you know stuff that you feel invested with a level of responsibility of like what I'm gonna whine because she gets freaked out about it's like what do I care you know it's my job to do it and, you know, the fact that she would lower her defenses with me and the stuff I would see when she lowered her defenses is this super level of tenderness and beauty that deserves to be protected and showered with love made me want to do that. You know, my mission in life was to make her happy. That's what I wanted. And she knew I felt that way. And as much as it made her happy, it also worried her because she wasn't stupid, right? So she's like, you can't save me, you know? in a way that proved oddly prophetic, I guess, but it's not your job to make me happy. Only I can make myself happy. And, you know, you can be there for me and offer me love and all of that's amazing and all of that, but stop thinking that it's your job because it's not, you know. And I appreciate the effort, but... And, you know, it was true, and yet I still wanted to give her whatever I could. And some of it was... Um, I'll move along with the story or we take really, really, really long. But basically, you know, we were together for a while. We eventually got married. I think I mentioned this on the episode with Tobey Marcos, my, what was that one? Or another one recently, my wedding story, which is hilarious in and of itself. How Army of Darkness saved my wedding. But <laughs> So I won't repeat it now. But um, main reason we got married, you know, neither one of us cared a whole lot about marriage as an institution. It was more like, 
well, you're gonna run out of a permit to stay in the United States. Rather than have you deported, I think I'll marry you. And, you know, we are living together anyway. We are planning a life together anyway. So I was like, well, that's very sweet. Thank you. Let's go through the stupid ceremony and let's do it. And, you know, we did. And the whole thing was actually quite funny. And the um, so one of the things that happened, we go off on a tangent and we go back to the main story, I guess. One thing that I really like about her that cracked me up is that she was a serious savage. She would just be so pretty and elegant and polite in some way and such a savage in other. Uh, I remember one time um, my grandmother was visiting from Italy. You know, my grandma, she's like 80-some-year-old and she's... uh, and Elizabeth come back home from work and she's still in her scrubs from the hospital so she's all you know dirty and stuff and but dinner is ready right the second she walk in so she's like hey oh thank you guys for making dinner she take off her scrubs right then and there in the kitchen and you know she's in her red underwear and my grandma is like by then she had been already stretched enough in her flexibility that she didn't think much of it she's like oh she's just gonna change and stuff and like nope She's uh, right there at dinner with my grandma in their tiny underwear with holes in it because they are old. And I was cracking up, right? I'm like, beautiful. But um, one thing that tells you a lot about her personality is a story that her sister Belle told me that um, Elizabeth was about four or five years old. Belle is, I forgot how much older she is than Elizabeth, but, you know, at that age, it was older enough that she's, like, twice her size kind of thing. And they got into a fight over something, you know, maybe Belle is eight or nine, something like that, and Elizabeth is four or five. And following the Han family approach to constructively expressing one hanger, this means that it's going to be a drawn-out fight. You know, Belle grabbed the belt and told her, I'm going to whip you with it. And, um, you know considering that she's twice your size it probably would be a good idea to plead for mercy or run away but that's <laughs> not how her brain was built from the start from when she was tiny because she just stood her ground pulled out her own tiny belt which was really she's four what kind of a belt can she have it's like a piece of color string basically and she's like getting ready to throw down and you know by that point i think it was so hilarious the belt just started laughing her ass off thinking this is just funny and sort of admired this tiny dweebs spirit that wasn't bucking down and so that's elizabeth in a nutshell you know this attitude of i don't care about the consequences you may kill me but you're not gonna bully me there was this very sort of a crazy samurai a laugh in the face of that kind of approach that she really used a lot i was the exact opposite you know, I've always been 180 degrees from here. My whole game has been about calculating to minimize risk, formulate strategies to avoid the trouble, get the best solution while avoiding the... She was just... I jump, and then I worry about consequences. You know, like, I remember going skiing with her. I'm not a great skier or anything, but I grew up skiing in the Alps in Italy and all of that, so... I knew how to ski fairly well and she didn't she was okay she had gone a few times and you know we go skiing we go down these easier slopes a few times and then we go a little harder but you know it's like an hour into it two hours into it we haven't gone down that many times yet and she's like yeah okay i'm bored can we switch slope i want to go down that one i'm like sweetie that's a double black diamond that's probably not a good you know you haven't really skied that much she's like 
It's like, nah, you know, let's go. Come on. And I was like, shit. You know, and miraculously enough, we came out with all our limbs intact, but that was sort of her attitude, just risks, not exactly something that scared her. I remember her going to jujitsu and just, um, she came, you know, she had taken some jujitsu lessons like years earlier. And then she decided to come again with me, like, Again, this is probably six, seven years after the fact. So whatever your two months of jujitsu six years before don't exactly count for much. You know, we review some stuff before class starts. I'm showing her again how to apply a guillotine choke, you know, basic little things just to give her a quick refresher. That particular class was strange. You know, usually beginners, they allow them to take it a little easy and all of that. That one time they put, uh, they decided to have everybody line up. They were doing this drill of somebody trying to past the guard and somebody trying to sweep and in a competitive fashion in front of everybody just two people go out at the time so you know you're the only woman in the place in the middle of like 25 30 guys first day they put you on the spot where everybody's looking at you you know it's a bit of an intimidating kind of thing and um the dude that she was going against was also somebody who had been training for maybe two, three months, not a lot, but had muscles even in his ears, you know, was ripped, right? So it was like, and, you know, they start going, and I see this guy's trying to sweep her, and she's doing really freaking good, and I'm like, wow, this is really awesome. And then all of a sudden I see he sets up this sweep and kind of send her flying in the air, and I'm like, well, that was a good effort. Like a freaking cat, I don't know how, she regained her balance midair, land on her knees, is not swept, at that point, she's pissed, so she just grabs his feet, toss them to the side, jump on full mount, lock a guillotine, and choke him out flat, all in like three seconds. Everybody in the room was looking at me like, who the fuck is this woman? You know, what exactly is going on? Because, you know, she fought with the spirit of a tiger out of the cage, you know. There were clearly a ton of people better than her technically, but in terms of fighting spirit, you know, good luck matching hers, because that wasn't really going to happen. You know, I hear that a lot of men are intimidated by being the idea of being in a relationship with such a woman. I don't think I understand that because I mean, I knew from the get go that she was more fearless than I could ever hope to be. You know, that was a fact. No argument there. Alpha female. <laughs> On steroids multiple times. At the same time, it's like, so what? You know, if anything, I felt I could learn from her and I did learn a lot from her. She pushed my limits so many times. Now, I hated her for it, but I also loved her for it because she taught me a lot. She, I really learned a lot from her in that regard. She said it was, she was actually funny. She said, I'm glad you are so into martial arts and you train martial arts for such a long time. Otherwise, you would have never clicked. You know, your energy is so soft, sweet, mellow that I like it, but I would feel like I'm in a lesbian relationship or something. <laughs> so it's like, it's good that you also have a bit of an edge, you know, this... Uh, so, and it was tricky because if she was, if she, had she been in a relationship with somebody who was all as intense as she was, it would have never worked Find because out. they get along for about three minutes and then the first fight, there's no compromise and they kill each other. She can't really deal with somebody who's too soft either. So it was this weird balance where you have to be soft to give her a lot of compromises, give in a lot, and at the same time be strong enough that there's something there that she likes and respects and she's intrigued with. So it was um, kind of funny. And I mean, part of it is bravery, I guess, comes in multiple ways. And one thing that she did say, she thought I was brave in other ways. Like she said, uh, in terms of emotional bravery, she said, you know, most people I know 
spend their lives hiding. They're afraid to show their emotion. They're afraid of how other people will judge them. They're afraid to find out who they really are. These leave them somewhat unable to really love because they are spending their time protecting themselves emotionally. And she say, you just go into it with reckless abandon. You make yourself completely vulnerable. You don't care about getting hurt. So, which was true, but I wasn't scared of it. So I didn't see it as bravery. You know, it was just how I was built. To me, you know, I'd uh, I tried initially actually with her to run the script I've always run, which is, you know, I'll take care of your deep-seated insecurities, but, you know, my dark stuff, eh, don't worry, I'll, I'll keep it to myself. And I thought I was being noble. She's so right through it. She's like, you little shit, what kind of condescending bullshit is this? You know, are you saying that you can take care of my weaknesses, but what? I'm not strong enough to take care of yours. Only you can do that. You think you're being nice? Screw that. Just put everything on the table, you know. Forget this white knight bullshit that you take care of me, but I can take care of you. And I was like, okay, that's honest. I dig it. And so I did, you know, and it felt good. Just to be real. Insecurities and all, whatever, just on the line. And that's something that I learned from her, and I liked it a lot. Yours probably didn't stack up quite as high as her insane horrible upbringing though no in different ways you know my things will be different completely from hers but again it's not like you don't have insecurities they're a different kind and even her stuff you know she was so crazy fearless and then you would see these little glimpses of like i can tell you how many times i got woken up at 5 a.m because she had gone to the bathroom and she see a tiny spider and she want me to take care of it and i'm like (laughs) really the one who's not scared of anything or or when she would go to sleep something would flip like she would never want to go to sleep she would have to be so tired to go to sleep that because when she went to sleep it's like she reverted to being a bit a little girl hell i remember literally like multiple times she woke up she doesn't actually wake up she's talking in her sleep and she's like calling for her parents in chinese wow and she had no memory whatsoever of that when she woke up but it's like in her sleep she went back to a place of vulnerability and so there was clearly, you know, as strong as she was, it's not like he was all perfectly solved and no issues left lingering. I have to ask how Gloria and her got along when they first met. How did that happen? They got along. I mean, my mom liked her a lot. She admired her. She just thought I was nuts for being with her in some way because it's like, you know, I she's an awesome human being, but Jesus, uh, really just sharing your space with somebody who can't compromise too much like that to so get angry so easy-ish, you know, that doesn't seem like a good idea. At the same time, she loved her, so they got along in that level, but, but yeah, it was kind of funny to see them when they got going on the same issues, like, they better get along on that, because nobody's going to compromise, right? But speaking of no compromises, one thing she decided after a couple of years we were together, she decided she didn't know what to do with her life, and she decided, I want to go to med school which was completely nuts because her GPA sucked. You know, she had a horrible GPA. Her GPA in sciences was even worse. It was just painful. And it's not that she... She had spent the first two, three years when she was 17 to 19, 20, when she was in college, just trying to survive, trying to figure out what it means to be an adult on your own. So, I mean, school had taken a very far back seat, which inevitably means you're going to screw up. So, you know, she had a semi-okay GPA, but very far from med school standards and definitely not the sciences. So I kind of laid it out from her in my strategic brain, like, that's not going to happen. Maybe it's just not, you know, how can... 
and she was just in a well screw you then you know if you don't believe in me too bad because i'm gonna do it anyway and i'm like well i tell you what i'll support it in any way i can i don't need to see it as long as you see it good for you okay i don't need to see it so don't listen to me if it's i don't see how it's gonna work but whatever so she decided she could live with that. It was an honorable compromise. So she decided she would go back to school, do a couple of years of science prereqs, because she was, in the meantime, she graduated in English, which is not exactly the straight path to med school. <laughs> and um, she did uh, a couple of years of pre-med. And, um, you know, right the first semester, the first few weeks, I had this I told you so thing in my mind, because, you know, the first exam she got back, she sucked at it, right? And I'm like how many times do you have to see the writing on the wall to know that it's not going to happen, you know? And when she basically couldn't make a single mistake left anymore, she started getting all A's. And I had no freaking idea how she did it. Then the next semester would start the same way. She screwed up the first exam really bad and then she started getting all A's. And I was like, okay, you know? One of the That was like crazy sheer willpower going on and i didn't understand how she did it i still don't know how it happened but it was happening you know she was um our life got considerably more complicated because she had moved to northern california to go to school so i was doing monday through thursday in la working and then back then uh, southwest had a fairly cheap deal so i would fly back and forth on a weekly basis to Northern Cal, flying into Oakland and spent, you know, Thursday night through Sunday with her and back. So that was a bit intense, you know, it was a um, pretty tough period. <clears throat> then when she came down and she came back down to LA, she got into a med school. We are living in freaking Pomona, which those of you who are familiar with the geography of LA is Jesus. not the best place in the universe. Also not the best place in the universe because I would often teach in Long Beach and Santa Monica in the same day. So I would end up having like four, four and a half hours of driving a day. But, you know, again, she was studying like 14 hour days and our school was right there. So I'm like, screw it again. I'll gladly take that for the team. I'll drive the second I don't have to drive. I'll be much happier. But the way I saw it, she was doing something heroic. It just made no sense that she was able to pull it off the way she did. And yet she was. So I wanted to help out any way I could. Fast forward uh, a few years and um, she's finish med school internship residency all of that stuff is coming to an end and right as the residency was coming to an end you know up until that point it would have made no sense to even try to have a baby because it was like you know when you're never here you're always gone doesn't make sense but we did i ended up um if there's a prize for the man who has taken the greatest number of pregnancy tests in history, I think he should be named after me. Oh, because the Bellelli Award. She couldn't believe she was pregnant. The second we decided, let's try, you know, <laughs> next day, pregnant. And she's like, come on, this is a joke, right? So I ended up peeing on so many pregnancy tests to confirm that they were working because they weren't turning positive for me, but they were for her and stuff. That's... So, yes, there's that. I the, thought she would have known the Italian. I was it, it's pregnant, you say? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Yeah, basically, that's kind of how it went. That's funny. But, uh, <laughs> you know, by then I had car for myself and each writing, teaching college, I was teaching martial arts. She had been in residency. You know, she had pulled it off. 
the um, in some way that cost her a lot she was in a place where um, you know she had hated every minute of the path to get there because the reality is that she her emphasis on health was very on prevention and a more holistic approach and her entire training was about turning her into a glorified drug dealer so she wasn't too crazy about that she was really good at osteopathy at the manual manipulation and the treatments and stuff and that's what she started doing but by then she was really burned out you know her treatments were magic i love when she gave me treatments I would, it was really like a psychedelic experience every time it was so weird i would go into this like lucid dreaming state where i was asleep but conscious that i was asleep it was awesome i don't know how she did it and it wouldn't feel like she's doing anything she's like barely touching it was very subtle treatment and yet it was so powerful but in any case she was also burned out you know she had uh residency a lot of shifts were like 80 hours a week of uh, some all-nighters you know totally screw up with your sleep so her energy reserve was kind of done by this point her patience was really low not that it was ever the high to begin with but is uh and now that she was pregnant she decided the more she talked to gynecologists and nurses and the more she had worked in a hospital for so long the more she decided that the hospital was the least likely place where she wanted to give birth so the whole birthing protocol was designed around the needs of the doctor and the comfort of the doctor and she was like you know, high rates of often unnecessary C-section, the position of delivery, quality and quantity of drugs involved. She didn't like any of that. So she decided forget being part of these McDonald's of birthing that are the delivery rooms. Let's have the baby at home, which was less insane than it may appear at first because, you know, she was a doctor. She understood everything about, you know, the possible risk, what to look for, what's all of that stuff. And uh, she was super comfortable with her own body, pretty much unafraid of pain or anything else. So kind of an ideal candidate in that regard. She was very healthy. So, Did you do the swimming pool? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So this fit with her barbaric self of uh, just <laughs> let's do that at home, you know, midwife and the whole thing. And that was that. Um, throughout the pregnancy, it was funny. There was this very strange thing going on with Isabella that um, multiple times we, like, when we would talk to her, it seemed like she responded, like time when like she hasn't thrown a kick in hours and we're like, hey, everything going on there? Everything okay? And we're like, hey, baby, can you kick to let us know everything is good? Five seconds later, pop, pop, pop. Like, okay, thanks. That was sweet. You know, she was turned the wrong way and we're like, baby, we really need you to turn. Otherwise, we need to have a C-section and all of that. Next day, pop, you know, new x-ray, she turned the other way. So it was one of the weirdest ones was um, she would always keep kicking and move around and be happy if her mom's hand was on her. But if anybody else put a hand there, she would freeze and stop. And uh, which makes sense, I guess. I, I'm guessing she can recognize whose hand it is because one is the mom, is the same body. So in some weird way, I'm guessing you can tell. But this is where it go weird. After a while that I would talk to her and do stuff like that over weeks, when I put my hand on it, she kept kicking and moving. When anybody else did, she would freeze. Like she could tell who it was. It was so damn strange. I still have no idea what to think of that. In any case... So the um, July 1st, uh, it's night, we got the birthing pool, we have everything set up, it's a 
couple of weeks before due date, but not much, you know, maybe not even, maybe a week or something. And Elizabeth is like, okay, baby, you know, it's midnight, we're going to sleep. And she's like, okay, sweetie, everything ready for you. Now, whenever you want to come, everything is good, okay? So just feel free. I'm getting kind of uncomfortable here, so I wouldn't mind if we got this going sometime soon. (laughs) We fall asleep, three hours later, water broke, and the whole thing starts. We're like, wow, okay efficient baby she listened you know and um i was obviously a bit freaked out because you know everything you see on tv about birth they make it look like hell and women being torn to pieces and is screaming and going i'm like damn you know at the same time it's like what right do i have to be afraid of you know is she's not afraid um so i'll keep that in check and keep that to myself so it's pretty okay with the whole thing and you know we set up the pool did the whole thing the midwife arrived but really just for the last hour of the whole thing she's pretty much done hopped into the pool and you know i eventually got to see my baby pop out right there in the kitchen in the where we had set up the birthing pool it was quite awesome the whole thing and uh that was a seriously wild trip yeah yeah nothing else like it yeah so big highlight there now, that was the last big highlight for a while, because the fact is, you know, on paper, everything looked great. We had this beautiful, awesome baby. She had her career finally was getting into gear. I was doing my stuff. At the same time, she was so exhausted. I'm sure there were also postpartum hormones going on and all of that. So she was, by then, she was quicker to anger than she had ever been. You know, she she also hadn't been able to work out in a long time, which is the only way that she could kind of get rid of stress and feel balanced. So nothing made her happy other than, you know, take care of the baby. But even that, you know, as much as it makes you happy, it's also work. The whole journey to get where she was had left her with such deep scars that she really didn't have an ounce of energy left. You know, she had no gas left in the tank and the overdose of years of frustration and all of that kind of brought back a lot of the childhood demons that she kept at bay when she was strong. So there was a lot of this unresolved rage that kept popping up with a vengeance. And um, she still managed to be crazy patient and loving and wonderful to Isabella, giving her this never-ending source of love and sweetness, but was a fury to everyone else. Now, normally everyone else did not include me, but these were not normal times, so these were things started getting a bit sour. In particular, there was like this one little stupid thing where the one thing that caused this huge fight with us was that, you know, two months, three months after the birth of Isabella, I wanted uh, my dad, he was planning on coming from Italy, so I wanted to have him over, you know, for a week or something, and she was just like, no. And I'm like, Jesus, come on, man. He's like, it's my dad, and... And the thing is, because I felt like I compromise on everything, you know, that I'm like, everything you want, I give in to you. One damn thing, you know, my dad wants to visit, stay in our house, we have a room for here. Come on, I'm not asking for the moon. And from my point of view, yes, I wasn't asking for the moon. For her point of view, it was like, hey, this is my space. I already have like crazy issues with privacy. I will have him eventually, but not now. It's a particularly vulnerable state, just had the baby everybody out you know that kind of thing she was all her tendencies were super heightened and normally you know i again i make compromises about anything but you know when she tells me you know it's a super compromise just for you we can have him for four days and i'm like i'm going to have him fly from italy 
to a beer for four days. A little quick. Come on, man. It's like, give me something. You know, in her mind, she had made a huge compromise, and I was an ungrateful asshole. And, um, you know, what I should have done to be supportive was not argue with her, which basically meant give in to everything she wanted. And for the most part, I did, but not on this one. So it was becoming kind of obvious that my whole stupid notion that if I only tried hard enough, I could make everything okay was not working wonders for me at the moment. She felt that she couldn't trust me because, you know, I, to her, I didn't give her what she needed at a very critical time. To me, is I always give you what you need. I'm asking for a tiny damn thing. What's the big deal? They both make sense, but they come from such different places, right? So there was edges there, strong edges. Now, eventually, some of these edges started getting dulled in time, and there were a lot of plenty sweet, tender moments, but something there got... It was a tough period. You know, it was definitely tough. It was not easy. Now, had I known what was in store for us this would have been cake. The arguments we were having, I would have gone back any day, right? What happens is, by the time Isabella turns one-year-old, a month later or something, uh, Elizabeth stopped breastfeeding. About the second she stopped breastfeeding, like within days as she had this thing, she started, she woke up one morning saying, man, my shoulder hurts a lot. Like, big deal, right? We all have aches and weirdness and whatever. It's like, it kept happening for days that she kept feeling this crazy shoulder pain. So she's where like maybe it tore something, maybe, you know, all this lifting the baby, going up and down, all of that. But then, you know, we looked into it from an orthopedic standpoint and there was no structural damage. So it's like, hmm, that's not good because if it's not a structural thing, then what could it be? And things got really worrisome when suddenly her left leg started hurting. I'm like, okay, that's not a good thing going on here. And... You know, by the end of this was happening at the beginning of September. By the end of October, I had uh, Isabella strapped to me as she was half of the time in this baby Bjorn kind of thing as I'm walking up and down the corridors of a neurologist office. And, um, you know, we find the neurologist is like, yep, there's something going on here because um, you're failing some of the neurological tests. Uh, when you are trying to touch your nose, uh, you're missing, you're doing things that people should be able to do. There's something neurological wrong going on there. So we need to do more tests. Now, this is where fear definitely made itself welcome into our home and never really left because it was um, it's like, oh, this is real problems. This is not minor stuff. Now, most uh, motivational speakers, self-help books, they a huge part of what they tell you is how when they armor on how to defeat your fears, it's all about the concept that fear is really unwarranted, that real, you know, you're psyching yourself out, you're making things worse than they really are, and that's what's screwing up your life more than the thing that you're really afraid of. Yeah, that may be true in some cases, but what about when reality turns out to be just as bad as your worst-case scenario? Then what, you know? In this case, very quickly, we got back with the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, which is not a happy diagnosis. It's not the worst thing in the world, because there are ways you can deal with it. People manage to have long lives and, in some cases, not suffer too much from it. But it's, it's a heavy thing, you know? And if nothing else, it gave us something to hope for. It gave us something to hang on to, at least a promise that things could get better and all of that. And 
and we needed that as much as we needed oxygen because we were driving you know drowning there we was um, she started walking with a cane i mean it was a bad very quick dramatic deal and their physical decline had been so brutally rapid and with no end in sight in the space of a few weeks that it was getting kind of crazy you know for her by november it was completely impossible for her to take care of isabella it was difficult for her even to take care of herself and so you know for me clearly was a weird i mean i didn't really care about the practical stuff you know taking care of the finances all the practical issues or all of whatever the hell didn't really matter compared to how painful it was to deal with the emotional aspect of it all you know he's like <clears throat> try this as an example i remember as a um, end of another exhausting day work take care of isabella take care of elizabeth we're in bed trying to catch at least a few hours of sleep and i see her she's just crying her eyes out and uh, you know i hugged her clothes and uh, and she just let out the two words that killed me pretty much because she just said why me you know you know i look at her and i saw all these level of vulnerability in her face more than i'd seen in all the time we've been together and she's like i'm a good person you know why the hell is this happening to me and you know and i'm sure i got hurt worse in life but i really can't remember too many times when because you know her words the expression on her face this feeling of total powerlessness that we had they just kind of crushed my soul you know and i wanted to tell her yeah you are a damn good person and there is no why you know sometimes there's just no damn rhyme or rhyme or reason there's the universe is just fucked up now i kept my cheerful existential thoughts to myself and just hug there and voice my belief that against all logic somehow everything was gonna turn out okay you know and she was what if it doesn't and i'm like no you will and what makes you think so and you know i'm like because now there really is no way i can finish that sentence making sense because i have nothing to go on and the way i remember finishing that sentence was i guess made sense to her but i was like because we're supposed to go grocery shopping together when we're 80 you know one thing that we played with a lot of the time was like imagining being old and gray and we're 80 years old holding hands going grocery shopping in the morning that kind of thing and you know if nothing else he made her smile now that smile didn't really alter the trajectory of where she was going with her thoughts but you know so she told me at some point she's like i'm tired baby you know I'm, i can't do this much longer i'm just this is ripping me to pieces day in and day out and i can't do this anymore in case he wasn't clear enough she spelled out you know i, I want to be done i want to kill myself i'm just i can't take it you know i can't take it anymore which kind of fit with our whole philosophy of life because she was like she was all about highest quality of life or nothing no compromise in between and she had made this point abundantly clear ever since i known her it was one of like the bedrocks of her philosophy one of the things that she kept bringing up over and over again can't even tell you how many times she would tell me things like you know if i'm ever in a scenario where i'm incapacitated i'm da 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 you have to i'm like jesus okay so until i would always promise yes i'm gonna bash your head with a baseball bat are you happy okay then she would relax but it was like an ongoing thing i don't know if it's like a prediction or it was just part of who she was or philosophy but 
it was a big deal to her you know promise me you never guilt trip me into staying alive at all cost you know i want quality or nothing and yet you know i did promise but in this case i didn't feel like i was going back on my promise i felt like you know you're just exhausted now and i understand why you feel this way just hold on a little bit longer i mean multiple sclerosis this is a really bad attack but you know people usually when they figure out how to manage it then a lot of the symptoms go back you probably can get your body back just give it some time okay and just and she's like okay but how long and i'm like hell if i know you know it's like but then you know it's like november no i think november and we're like so i was like you know what tell you what just give it time to summer okay and if by summer you're not all better i'll go look for my baseball bat and finish you off myself okay and you know you know horrendously dark humor always made her laugh so it worked for the moment but that was about the only laugh in those days and weeks because nothing that happened afterwards made us feel any better actually our condition kept getting worse at crazy record speed you know her arm at turned to jelly basically you know her left arm couldn't move it anymore was resting against her body couldn't lift it couldn't do anything and you know you get these soul crushing moments i remember we're giving isabella a bath and isabella was in the bath and you know we are singing a song or something and so isabella started clapping but the way she was clapping is she kept one arm just limping her in her hand you know flat down and the other one was clapping at hand you know because she was learning from her mom and i remember just seeing um elizabeth see that and recognize what was going on and i just could see her just dying inside right just this you know up until three months before she had been in top athletic shape now she couldn't even clap and their daughter was learning that from her her legs was beginning to go along the same path so i mean by december i was carrying her in my arms up and down the stairs putting her in bed she times when she would try to go to the bathroom on her own and uh, she fell down and i remember isabella who by then was like a year and three four months something like that she would run up you know mama mama and she's like trying to lift her and put her make it okay on her own and it's just like those things that fucking kill you right just soul crushing moments piling on top of soul crushing moments piling on more soul crushing moments just by then i was pretty much not sleeping you know during the day i was just taking care of uh, isabella and elizabeth um or i was working at night i would take care of elizabeth because she basically stopped sleeping herself one of the side effects of what was going on is that she pretty much couldn't sleep and at night her mind would just torture just go in circles and um all of that so you know i was running like a madman morning to night trying to put a finger in every hole in them and then you know it wasn't really working incredibly well so you know i was it was this weird feeling of just pushing every fiber of my being trying to save all that i loved only just to see it all collapse around me where it didn't really matter what i was uh, able to do now eventually after the million trip to the hospital the doctor walk in and you know i'm no medical expert but when you see the doctor teary-eyed walk in is not exactly a good sign and she's like finally managed to come out with some words about the result of her latest mri by now it's january so again only what four and a half months from when it all started and she's like oops turn out it's not a mess the i mean there's no way to be absolutely sure now but basically we are we just need to confirm it 
uh, it's not a mass, it's a brain tumor. And it's not just a brain tumor, it's a particularly aggressive brain tumor. And it's not just a brain tumor that's particularly aggressive, it's actually located in a spot where we can't operate. There's just no way to do surgery. So the news was, this is going to kill you. They're just, the only question is how long it's going to take. But there's just no way out. You know, I remember the doc kind of tried to spin it all of a sudden because, you know, after you give that kind of news, how are you going to balance it out? And she's like, you know, I've heard of miraculous cases in which people in your condition can live up to maybe two or three years. And that's where I knew it, that was it, right? Because knowing Elizabeth is like, that's not what she wanted. She wasn't want to last anything. She either wanted to live to her full capacity or she didn't want it. So I knew that that was that, you know. The, um, but, um, <clears throat> you know, the doctor idea of a miracle was Elizabeth's idea of hell. So I knew that one way or another that wasn't going to happen. Plus her descent was just brutally fast that he was really, there was that issue of, well, if this is what's going on, how long does she have, really? And, you know, some people try to milk every extra day they can stay alive. And I'm not blaming them. If that's how you're built good for you you know do what you got to do some people say oh it's for the kids to spend more time closer to the kids and again if that works for you guys great for her not only prolonging the agony was just going to bring an insane level of sadness to her but the way she saw it is is going to bring an insane level of sadness to her baby and she didn't want that so she really was not in looking for ways to extend the process when she found out that she couldn't get out alive of this she wasn't looking for extra time. Now, after hearing what was basically at that sentence, she responded the way she was, just freakish, fearless, just... She had been for months now on this very strict diet to try to manage the symptoms. Once we found out it was a mess, we got much more specific and all of that. So the first thing she said was like, the second the doctor left, she looked at me and she's like, you know what, as soon as we're out of the hospital, take me to eat the fattiest and healthiest foods ever i want to have a party you know i want to eat like and i'm like done baby whatever you want just name it you get it you know now a lot of this is uh wasn't immediate because you know they did um they had to do a biopsy to confirm that it was a brain tumor and so hospital you know i took isabella to stay with my mom so i could spend the day and the night with elizabeth and you know, not really sleeping there because you don't get to sleep, especially because she was awake all the time, but holding her, talking her, all of that, helping her to and from the bathroom, all of that kind of stuff. During one of these never-ending days, nights, under the fluorescent light of the hospital, I remember looking at the wrist tag that the patient thing, and I remember seeing her name, you know, Han, Elizabeth, female, age 36, and that's when I realized there was a very high chance that she would never live to see her 37th birthday. And I was like, it kind of started sinking in. You know, in so many ways, the trajectory of her life looks sort of like the poster for the American dream. Child of illegal immigrants raised in poverty and abuse, closer ways out of misery to become a doctor, have a baby, marry someone she loves, carve for some, herself some happiness, true success story of overcoming crazy odds except that you probably will die horribly because there's no there's no damn happy ending at the end of the rainbow you know no so 
more just meaningless tragedy and no logic. Which really reminds me, there's this um, Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca who said, we are born into a world in which no quarter is given. Yeah, that, definitely. So, you know, time in the hospital and and it's becoming clear that she knows she knows what's happening i mean obviously she knows but it's like it's sunk in you know i remember a friend was visiting and we're having this really good visit and this guy marlon he's really into working out he loves it so we're talking about his working out and uh we're talking about mine and i'm like yeah man <coughs> i've lost all my muscle i haven't worked out in a million years and elizabeth was like don't worry you're gonna get it back and, you know, she said it about me. She obviously didn't say it about her because she knew that that wasn't going to happen, right? And So eventually she had her surgery. She had the biopsy. Doc came back with the results. Her sister Belle was just in full, you know, she broke down big time when it became obvious what was going on. And she just was crying, screaming in the hallway. Couldn't, you know, and understandably so. You know, it was in some way it helped me because that's exactly how I was feeling. But because she was going there, then it helped me not to go there. I had to balance it out the other way. So I became the solid, the stoic, let's take care of business. I was feeling the way she was, you know, but just as a balance, because well, if we both are going to go back in there like that, that's not going to help. So, you know, the fact that she let it all out kind of forced me to find a different side in me. So it actually, actually helped me a bunch in that. Now, up until that moment, I had been hurting, suffering, praying, hoping. It was like in so many ways, the worst emotional everything had been the last three months. Once we heard that, which was the worst possible imaginable, emotionally, something in me snapped. It's like, by now I was on a mission. I was just there to make every single second she had a good one. And that was really my one and only job, just to make her smile. You know, my own emotions were swept aside. Because, well, I'm not the one fucking dying, so it doesn't really matter what I'm feeling, you know. It's like, so, you know, the one hour a day when I would leave the hospital and go to take a shower or something, I would just crumble. It would hit me all of a sudden, and I would just would be unable to breathe. I felt like my guts were being ripped out of my body. I felt like, you know, nothing anybody could say could make things better, you know. And I had my one hour of pure emotional destruction, but it's one hour, you know. The second is done, I have to walk back in the room. And the second before I walk back in the room, I have to chisel that heartbreak away, put my game face back on, and it's like turning on a switch because that's all I got. And so the, the whole emphasis was on laughing with her. <clears throat> no anxiety, no, she just needed my strength. She, and I wasn't bullshitting her. I wasn't offering her false hope or pretending everything is going to be okay. You know, it was obvious it wasn't. But it was about something, finding something to be happy for one second right now. And then the next second. And then the one after that. There is no future. There is no tomorrow. There is no happy ending at the end. So I can promise it's not based on any hope. It's based on the right now. What are we going to laugh about right now? What can we feel good about right now? You know, I was determined to create the best possible vibes for her right then and there. And um, in some ways, I mean, martial arts, I think, helped me because I've been so used to getting my ass kicked and uh, staying in what's essentially losing fight in so many times on the mat that that what we are going through was the ultimate losing fight we aren't gonna come out alive out of this 
and so in some way, you know, granted, anything I've ever done on a mat is a joke compared to what I was going through, but at least I had that experience of forcing myself to be in an uncomfortable place with little hope of success, in this case of some stupid martial art competition, but keep fighting. This was, this was no sleep, little food, zero hope, everything you love gets taken away from you inch by inch and you're totally powerless to do anything about it. All you want to do is bash your head against the wall, you want to escape, you want to avoid it any way you can. You want to hold on to some ridiculous hopes, and yet it's obvious that it's bullshit. You know, none of this is... uh, There are all these overwhelming emotions that you want to give in to, but the fact is she needs help now. Not by bullshitting her, not through delusional optimism, not through... How are we going to find a way to laugh in the face of death right now? You know? And that's where we were with all of this. It became clear to her during this that whatever issue we were having the previous months, I was bullshit that I did love her like crazy. And uh, you know, I told her, yeah, I'd rather you hated me, but not this, you know. But of course, we don't exactly get to choose. And, um, you know, the other thing was now she was done. She was going to go back home. She was missing her home. She remembered, you know, the rosemary plants outside her window. She wanted to go back home. She wanted to have her family, see everybody, have a big party. And she knew that either she was dying anyway or she would try to speed it along somehow. So one of the things that was difficult is that her family really didn't understand this. You know, this was not a conversation that she had had in, with her sisters over the years. So she were, they were really not ready for this in a lot of ways. And so they kept trying to push her into a lot of procedures that she really didn't want to try to prolong things. But at the same time, she was, um, for me, it was awful because I knew what she wanted. She said it so many times. So it was like watching somebody being raped in front of me, seeing her being pushed in this direction. And at the same time, she was the one who... Um, you know, she would tell me one thing, but then she couldn't really bear to see the sadness in her sister's eyes, and so she wanted to try things for them. Not because she wanted, she didn't want to, but she didn't want to say no to them and kind of take away the hope that they were still nourishing. We were at a place where hope was gone, they still had it. She didn't want to yank it from her, them, but at the same time she was horrendously miserable. So they wanted to take some chemo or something at least? Yeah, exactly. And she didn't want to, right? So, and there was this, I don't want to, and then they would look at her with big sad eyes and they were like, oh, okay, maybe. You know, she was feeling, she didn't want to make them feel bad, basically. And um, in some weird odd way in all of these, her personality changed a lot at the end. Like she, a lot of that anger, a lot of that stuff that she had with her was largely vanishing. She... For a long time, you know, she had a few friends and even few is kind of being generous. There was this deep sense of loneliness. There was, in many cases, because she pushed people away, but the end result is the same. She still feels lonely. By the end, she would say things, literally like two weeks before she died, she would say stuff like, I am so lucky. And I'm like, and then of course she would catch herself and she would laugh and she's like, well, minus the brain tumor, you know, but I'm... Uh, there are so many people who are so nice to me. They are coming to visit me. They are super. She was super appreciative of everything that anybody gave her. You know, friend. She started seeing things in a very different light in that regard and feeling 
lacking some weird odd way. Now, despite that, nights were pure hell because she couldn't sleep, she would start freaking out, she would come start calling her doctor friends at 4 a.m. to come remove the stitches out of her head, you know, stuff that really didn't make a lot of sense, but she was freaking out logically. At some point, a friend of hers <coughs> came to visit and uh, they had a really good talk. And I remember after what she was mad because she was like, damn, I was in such a good mental place. I was in, s I wanted to go right then and there, you know, it's like now I'm back to having some fears and weirdness. I'm not in the same good frame of mind. She was m mad that she missed their chance to die right then and there when she wanted to. You know, because she's like, I want to be in the right frame of mind. You know, is she had some moments where, like, I remember one moment where she started crying and she was mad about, she was talking about being, give, being given so little time with Isabella and she was really just heartbroken, but she quickly caught herself. She realized that going down that path, feeling those emotions, was only going to make it harder. So she just tried to steal herself, chase that out, and basically prepare to die and um, one day she was this uh, yoga teacher of hers guy from in Santa Monica Brian he uh, came to visit and he was great you know they were laughing together and you know by then she could barely keep her eyes open sometime but she was having this great visit they had a really good time it was all really cool but then you know one night she just wanted to record this video with me just say you know i want to say stuff to my sisters that i can't really say to them face to face because i got so she kind of spelled out that she didn't want to go through any therapy she didn't want chemo she didn't want anything she wanted to be let go and eventually i mean she told them i'm not afraid to die uh, what i'm afraid of is that you're gonna be mad at me you know and then when they heard that her sisters understood you know they're like what are we doing to her you know this is a different so so at that point you know they were on board it's like hey if you don't want treatment you don't want treatment that's fine you know we just don't want you to feel that way we love you you're supported anything you want whatever and you know in my mind i wanted um You know, in my mind, I wanted to give her, you know, she wants to go because that's what she wants, right? She wants to die right then and there. I didn't care. I'm like, let's get you some morphine. Let's give you a shot, whatever. And she was smarter than me in that regard because she's like, no, you know, I don't want to do it that way because it's not legal and I don't want to have any problems for you. Or, yeah, can you imagine if then there's a problem and then you are not there for Isabella? It's like, no, that's not how it's going to be. The way it's going to be is... Uh, because they eventually put her in hospice because she was a terminal patient and there was no way out. And she's like, okay, this is how, you know, the doctor basically said it's going to be a surprise if she makes the month alive. So there was this, you know, morphine makes you go faster. <clears throat> but clearly, if you take a whole bunch in one shot, that's euthanasia. If you take it slowly over time, it's still making you go faster, but it's consistent with medical practice of, providing pain reliefs to people so she started saying and again go tell her that she's not feeling that way but she started saying hey i'm in a lot of pain i want morphine and you know started the whole process now eventually by the time the process got more intense and she's like i kind of want morphine around the clock it's obvious what's about to happen there's no mystery there but again is it 
that's not exactly euthanasia. I mean, hell, if had we been able to do it the way she wanted to, it would have been five minutes, it's done, and it's over. This was a drawn-out process, lasting days. The last 22 hours were the most brutal because it's like when you have morphine around the clock every hour and, you know, she's... Um, when um, when she decided to go, there were no second thoughts. She didn't ask for Isabella. She didn't want to say goodbye to anybody. It was just like, okay, let's go now. Cause I'm in the right, so let's start more morphine now. I want it. Let's go through this process. And, and again, this was all. I had no say on how much morphine, all of that. It was purely Elizabeth wanted to do it by the book, so as purely doctor order. She would call the hospice. She would ask permission to give exactly how much. So that's how it was, right? And I mean, again, she was dying anyway in a matter of days. So it was like, it was hard to tell whether it was the morphine or what anyway, because whatever. But in any case, no melodramatic speeches, no nothing, just determination to carry through. And, um, you know, morphine every hour, just next to her, holding her hand. Um, even when, at some point, we would fall asleep together during the night. I remember literally my brain was like, I would wake up on my own 58 minutes later, just give her morphine, go fall back to sleep, wake up 58 minutes later, just because my brain was on in that regard. And the only thing, at one point she woke up asking if Isabella was okay. And yeah, Isabella is okay. And that was it. That's all she wanted to know. And uh, so, you know, this whole long process, well, not re- well, long in terms of the last part, not really long when you consider when she was healthy to when she was not, was, um, yeah, it was crazy, the whole thing. Now, eventually, one thing that had happened a few days prior to this is she had asked at some point, she's like, I want some Buddhist monks. And, you know, she'd never been formally Buddhist, so it was interesting, but I'm like, I'm not about to ask anything, it's like, you want Buddhist monks, I fucking find you Buddhist monks, you know, it's like, I found there was this Tibetan center not that far from us, went to talk to them, they were super sweet, it was actually hilarious, there was there was so many of these weird comedy moments in the midst of tragedy, there was this one, um, the head guy was like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna come right now then, and uh, let me grab this dude, but where is he? Because, you know, they wanted to do this singing and stuff for her, and he's like, oh, uh, he went off to Starbucks, because he really loves his Starbucks coffee, and this Tibetan monk in robes come back, clutching his Starbucks coffee, running really fast, and, you know, they came over to us, they did this ceremony for her, and all of that, and one thing they had said was, when she goes, when she stopped breathing, don't touch her, don't cry in front of her, don't touch her, because your her spirit is trying to live, and otherwise you're messing with her, you're giving her mixed messages, so don't, leave her alone for a while. And so when, uh, you know, the end is again not particularly fun for anybody, the dying is not just as simple as saying, I'm dying now, push the button over no i mean it looks like the breath got shallower and shallower there all this time when it looks like the it's the last breath because she stops for 10 seconds it's over no it starts again exactly and yeah i lived through that one oh, there's all of that and uh yeah so you're familiar with how fun that is it was weird because in this long process the time a friend of hers was a doctor who was uh, checking up on her and she was like, yeah, this is it's going to take a few more hours. So and one of her sisters was like, oh, can I go to the bathroom? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. 
It's like the second she left, it was the first minute in which one of her sisters, neither Annie or Belle, was with her right there. That's the minute where she went. And it's like some people are saying, and again, maybe it's purely coincidence, it's entirely possible, but some people are saying, like, it's like she didn't want them to see her die. Like, she didn't want them sad that way in that moment. And uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But um, the so we left her alone. You know, we did um, what they said, leave her alone for a while. And, um, you know, I, I went back a couple of hours later and clearly, you know, her features are relaxed because you're no longer in tense or any of that. But that was it, right? It was just somebody was tense and now they're relaxed. That's that's all. And then we went back a um, couple of hours after that yet. Actually, a total of six hours after the fact. By the time we walked back in, one of her sisters and I looked at each other and we're like, what the hell is going on? Because we looked at her and she had this big smile on her face. She didn't have that when she died. She didn't have that two hours later. She had it six hours later. We're like, what's happening here? And and I remember I wanted to remember it. So I wanted to take a picture of it and uh, remember it. And I put the camera to my eye to click on that and I don't see the smile. I move the camera and it's right there. She's smiling. I look through the camera, no smile. And I'm like, it was so strange, right? So it just wouldn't come in a picture. But it was right there. Everybody, you know, other couple of other friends came over and they were like, she's smiling. I'm like, yeah, I, I see that. What the hell is that? Of course, nobody knows, but it's... That definitely was a gift in some ways. Help you feel a little better about everything. Now, the... Um, Oh, right then and there, I think the next day I went back to sleeping in the same bed because I knew that otherwise I would never be able to if I let some time go by. But again, it's the place where she died, so it's a bit weird, the whole thing. And, you know, we had um, people... It was funny, a lot of people after that, you know, would, wouldn't really be able to hold it in when talking about this stuff because it was just so heavy so like you know little baby left without a mother elizabeth all of that is like i remember a friend of mine straight from south central grown up among gangsters people shot that on his block on a regular basis nothing faced him and he was just crying like a baby right and it was just so i mean the whole thing was i remember when we had to make arrangements for our um for her cremation and uh, she wanted to be cremated and by then I was in such a weird mental space that part of what kept us sane through this whole process was gallows humor just find a way to laugh in the middle of it all so I remember this guy who I asked you know okay so what do I owe you and he they charge crazy money for cremation so I was like damn you know it's like two thousand some dollars I'm like okay but I was like, uh, let's have play with this man a little bit. I'm sure in this line of work, he doesn't get to laugh a whole lot. So, <laughs> so I pulled out my um, wallet and I start. I took out a quarter. I put it on the table. I took out ten cents and I'm counting: twenty-five, thirty-five, thirty-seven. Oh, forty-one. Uh, and I can see his face suddenly. He's just started to shift. It's like. Wait, I asked for two thousand some dollars. Is this guy trying to give me two thousand some dollars in coins? Oh, what's going on there? You know, I let him sweat just for a little bit. That I just smile at him and tell him, "I'm just fucking with you." You know, and I wrote him a check and stuff. And he was laughing his ass off. He was like, "I don't really get to laugh much in my work." Thank you. You know, that's 
and um, I remember by the time we had the memorial for her was um, you know so often on memorials and things like that there's this uh, everything happens for a reason it's the will of God uh, blah blah trying to spin it in a good way you know and uh, it's like people can't deal with the fact that life is tough and they need some fairy tales to deal with it and uh, I don't know man just trying to rationalize horror just earns you a punch in the face in my book because it's like karma yeah screw you you know what I've seen so many people good friends and family and stuff really nice human beings die in horrible ways that yeah I don't really you know any notion of karma or fairness of life or all of that I have a very hard time seeing any of that but you know when he was all done and over with he wasn't all done and over with because you know one end yes it is obviously and then on the other end there's the now what next chapter and next chapter means you know I ask myself what is that I can do for her you know I've been doing everything for her the last few months but really I've been doing nothing because I haven't been able to do what I wanted which is to give her a happy life to save her to do what was really needed for her so you know there's an element of me that feels obviously it's you know I'm not so stupid as to believe that it's due to me that I failed but there is an element of me that feels like (sighs) frustrated Uh, all my energy I wasn't able to do what was needed which was to make her feel good to make her well I made her feel good emotionally I didn't change anything you know she still had a brain tumor killing her so so when I ask myself that I figured that the only thing I had I could do for her what is that she would want the most was just take care of Isabella make sure that Isabella would be taken care of that she would be happy that everything and that's what Elizabeth would want in a weird odd way that put me in a really strange frame of mind because I really, like I remember her sisters for a long time after that, they were in this very deep, heavy grief, that just heavy depression stuff that really messed them up bad. Understandably so. Less understandably so was the fact that I wasn't. That I was in, uh, I remember even when I went to Rogan the first time, people were on YouTube, I remember seeing comments, people were like, how is that possible? You know, his wife died a few months ago and he's there chit-chatting, having fun with Rogan like nothing happened in some ways yes that's exactly it was strange because I had been in this guts rip being ripped out of my body mode as long as I had hope the second I had no more hope and the second she died my focus was well when she was still alive and we had no more hope was let's make her happy and when that change was let's take care of Isabella that's what I need to do I got shit to take care of that's what i can do for elizabeth me sitting around crying is not gonna help her well it had to be overwhelming relief too right i mean when she's gone she's gone right on some level but again and also but i I guess you know it's weird grief is one of the things that is not logical everybody's a different way of responding and they all make sense it's whatever works in my case it was just I had to, I couldn't really open that door because once I would open it, then I don't know if I can function very well, right. you know, and I'm not in a position where I can afford to because I have a baby who's 19 months old and she has no more mom and she needs to be happy, not only taken care of, but she also needs to be happy. 
so I don't have the luxury to sit around and shed a tear. Or rather, I would, like, at night after I put her to bed for 10 minutes, but that my 10 minutes are over, there's stuff that I need to get done for make sure Isabella is... everything is fine, you know? So, you know, those days Isabella was basically leaving glue to me, you know, she was... I mean, she had been for a few, quite a few months now anyway, because I was the one taking care of her a lot, so I read like a million books, so she was strapped to me in the baby Bjorn, passing out asleep, all of that, and... That, by the way, is really weird, one thing that you notice about gender roles, is I've seen so much cheerleading on the sides by, like, I would literally walk down the street, and there was one lady, every time I would walk by, she was at the balcony, and she was like there goes the best father in the world and I'm like if a mom was to do that that'd just be a mom who walks with her baby but because I'm a man walking with a tiny baby I'm a hero it's like there's something a bit unfair about that but whatever you know the um, it was funny because the fact that Isabella spent so much time just with me really it was just the two of us she was you see her and she looked like this Asian baby who speak English with an Italian accent so it was pretty hilarious eventually she lost most of it but it was really funny she would be like red like yes yes baby that's the color red that's right and good like uh, but uh, well aside for the humor then the obvious scene that I had to do right immediately the next day was uh, what do i tell her now you know because every morning isabella would come from her room and come look for her mom in bed as she usually was in those days and she comes and there's nobody in bed so she'd look at me and kind of puzzle like what the hell you know what's going on here and i was thinking you know how do i tell a 19 month old that how, how do i explain or your mom how do i what story can i make up and i was like you know, I have no idea, so I'm just going to say it flat out. I don't even know you're 19 months old. I don't even know what she understands and what she doesn't. She can only say a few words, so sure. it's not like I... So I told her flat out, you know, I said, um, um, your mama loves you, but she died. She's not coming back, and we're never seeing her again. And that's where it's at. I kept emphasizing that she was loved by her mom. It wasn't a refusal, but... He was done. She wasn't coming back, and we were over. Did she have any processing of that at all, or couldn't be? Like, it looked like okay. she was like, la, 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 but the next morning, she didn't come. And from then on, she stopped looking. And uh, she had one moment, a couple of moments that were really bad. Like one moment, we saw this Asian woman get into a car ahead oh. of us, and she tried to just dive in the middle of the street, screaming and stuff. So that was bad. She had another moment that was like heartbreak times a million when uh, I saw her. She had s- found this um, Elizabeth driving license that I set aside, and she grabbed it, and she was uh, rubbing the driving license on her face uh, because she wanted her mom to cuddle her, and clearly that was the closest she could come to that. So, yeah, I tell you how that makes you feel. But, um, you know, so that, there was a lot of those moments. And at the same time, you know, besides changing diapers and shit, I have to make her happy. I have to figure out a way that she doesn't go there too much. All right, I'm not denying what happened. I'm telling her, I'm acknowledging it. Um, But I also need to put the accent on something happy for her, right? And a lot of people help in some ways. Like, there were quite a few people who helped out with money. That was really sweet. Even... um, my favorite writer in the world, Tom Robbins, who, I mean, we've been friends for a while, but we're friends, like, email friends. We saw each other, what, twice in our lives or something. 
he sent me money. I was like, how fucking sweet is that? You know, that was crazy. And quite a few people, friends of Elizabeth, friends of mine, were trying to help in any which way they can, which I thought was really, really sweet. Now, the... Um, In some way, the fact that I had to be on for Elizabeth and then the second she was gone, I would have to be on for Isabella, forced me to quit feeling sorry for myself. Simply because, you know, I would have to take time and energy that I needed to make sure the baby was okay to feel sorry for myself. And so I couldn't really do that. So the... um, also, I think the fact that he, because I'm a hypersensitive freak, the fact that I've experienced heartbreak again and again and again in life in a way sort of prepared me a little bit to deal with not nothing on this stage, of course, nothing on this level, but still, you know, in some ways it brought me to the point I either shoot myself because there's so much damn pain and suffering in life or I accept it and I decide to enjoy it all no matter how damn painful some parts of life can be. And no regrets no fear of getting hurt because by now it's pretty obvious that I will get hurt and there's nothing I can do about it so let's just go with it and then some of the things that they happened that they were really bad things all around the same time somehow helped you know it's like there was this job at um, one of the colleges where I teach that I felt fairly sure I could get could radically change my life from the point of view of money security all of that and uh, nope didn't get it and I was in a way that really left me like whoa i've been banking on that for the last 10 years basically and suddenly like the month after my wife dies that thing i've been building for 10 years is young from under me nothing compared to elizabeth dying but still pretty big deal and then we find out that when i try to get a loan modification on the house they say no and they obviously can't afford the same mortgage i had before so at that point you become obvious we're gonna lose the house so you know my career just went into just took a nosedive elizabeth died the house we live in is gonna get taken away from us at some point during the house process as we're negotiating filing for things doing all these moves there was a moment where i got a letter from my bank saying uh, you now have 0.00 in your bank account because all your money has been frozen as a result of the negotiation with and, you know, by then, oh, I had a nice touch of a guy who had been my friend for a really long time to completely just stop returning calls and disappear right in the middle of it, which seemed quite tactful. Still have no idea why, which is like, what the hell, man? But all of these, to some level, made me laugh because it's like a tragedy is a tragedy. When you pile stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff, it becomes comedy. Yeah, it becomes of like, course that's going to happen. Of course you're going to slam your hand in the door in the next thing. That's why by the time I had uh, $0.0 in the bank, I remember I opened the letter and my dad saw it and I, uh, he asked what happened. I mentioned it to him. I was like, he was looking at me like, are you an alien? Because I didn't give a crap. You know, I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'll figure something. Good. I don't care. You know, it's like, okay, I have no money. Whatever. You know, this is the work that can happen. Pfft give me a break you know so it's uh there was this weird element to it all there was this really weird strange state where at that point you know where you are hit with all the war stuff what else can phase you you know there was this sense where nothing really can phase you all that much and at the end of the day none of that stuff matter because 
I need to wake up in the morning and the first thing that Isabella sees is me smiling and happy and let's sing songs and let's play with that. Anything less than that, I'll be some self-indulgent asshole who puts his own psychodramas before the happiness of a baby who needs every tiny bit of positivity she can get. So, in a way, I mean, I've said that before, but this is the context in which I thought it is. No one is ever depressed during a marathon because you have no spare energy. You know, whining is a luxury. So, the place where I was emotionally and in every other way was this... uh, my idol EQ Sojourn says um, if I end up in hell I'll find a way to a funder and as a friend of mine was on death row in San Quentin we used to say when they would ask him how are you doing he would always reply if he was any better I couldn't stand it you know, it's like when everything is trying to crush your spirit that's where the whole uh, answering hopelessness with raise middle with defiant smile and raise middle fingers come from it's like what else are you gonna do either you really crash and you crack under it or all you can do is laugh in the face of it all because is what are there they say this about gladiators in ancient time when roman gladiators they would use this sentence that translated means basically the the gladiatorial spirit was to have no hope and no fear because you have no hope you're a gladiator there are excellent chances you're probably gonna die fighting so good luck having deep hopes about the future but precisely because of that in a way it removes fear so what allows you to do is you fight like a god without a thought of survival or tomorrow because there is no tomorrow for you and that's kind of how i felt is i have nothing everything is getting yanked away from me let's play you know let's have fun while it lasts with absolutely no hope is a strange beast hope nourishes fear in some way because then your fear of things that you want to happen that are not going to happen when everything is going wrong i mean what hope do you have it's like come on so in some weird odd way elizabeth left me with a gift when she died she gave me some level of fearlessness now not forever i still have a bunch of fears and all of that but I've always been a wimp, I've always been calculating, worried about minimizing risk, playing it safe. And I wanted to avoid pain, suffering, that. And then, you know, I was reminded in the harshest possible way that I can't do that. That all my scheming and strategizing and all of that is not going to keep me safe or anything. And all it did is keep me scared. Under the illusion that I can avoid some unavoidable destiny, but... The fact is, it's not, you know. And um, so in some way, by removing hope, she made me somewhat fearless. Uh, It's the power of the damned, I guess. There's that power of when you know you're going to lose everything and you then just give every ounce of yourself in every second of the day because you're not saving anything up for the future if there is none. So, you know, the universe can intimidate you with the threat that it will take away from you something you value but if you already know that everything you value will be taken away from you then what the hell is left to be afraid of you know and uh, in some way it's um, that's the one uh, 
gift that she gave me that I could have never given to myself. You know, it's nothing that I could have on my own. I could have learned the same things. No, never. Do I think that, oh, well, in that case, there's a silver lining and let's plain flowers on your grave and sugarcoat it all because, hey, I learned a lesson. Well, boo-hoo-hoo, who cares? Really not that important in the great scheme of things. I'd rather be alive and be happy than that, you know. But considering that it's all happened and I can do nothing about it, the one thing that I definitely did for me was learning some measure nowhere near where she was her whole life i'm nowhere near that but some leisure of uh, well let's go and uh, play and when the universe decide to smite me well that's that there's not a whole lot i can do about it in the meantime defiant smile and raise middle finger